first scripture is on page 203 in the Pew Bible, 1 Samuel 17, 20 through 25. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to his battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to divide Israel. The king will be a great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. And the second scripture is on page 740, Luke 15, 1 to 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine is dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never dis disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed that and for him. 
My son and father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Why do we suppose this command is so widespread? 
a good reason. We have lots of fears in our lives. Fear is a giant in our lives. And it's one of the most common giants that must fall. Fear can taunt us. Fear can harm us. Fear can get a foothold in our lives and dominate us. It can demoralize us. It can ultimately diminish God's glory in our lives. But you know, it never diminishes God's glory within God himself. Because God's fundamental nature cannot be changed. The way we look at God might become diminished. But the way we show the world who God is, and the way we show ourselves to God, that's what becomes less when we experience fear. And fear doesn't always look like fear. This particular giant gains a big buy-in from a huge amount of fear of people. You see, fear can be flat-out terror. Shake in your bones, shake in your boots, fight fright. But other times, fear is less obvious. It could be anxiety, or nervousness, or worry, or stress, or dread, or tension, or stomach problems. Fear can chew away at our lives and fear will erode our sense of confidence and well-being. Fear can rob us of our sleep and of our rest. Fear can blind us and steal our praise of God. So what do we do with these fears? By the grace of God, how does the giant of fear fall? Well, we need to be reminded, first of all, of this powerful truth that the giant of fear can taunt us. But it does not have to have the ultimate power. Because Jesus is the ultimate power. Fear may try to obscure our view of God. It may try to crush our confidence. Fear may get us around our throats, in a death grip. It may try to choke the very breath out of us. It may yell insults at us. It may try to convince us that we're going to live with this giant of fear for the rest of our lives. But guess what? The giant of fear is already dead. It's done for. Because it was conquered by Jesus when he died for us on the cross. And that's why, in Jesus' name, the giant of fear has to fall. And so for the giant of fear to fall, we must hear Jesus, and we must see Jesus. We must keep the focus of our hearts on Jesus. And that's because seeing and hearing Jesus and focusing on Jesus builds up our faith. And faith is the antidote to fear. And the opposite of fear is not being bold courageous. The opposite of fear is faith. And faith begins by saying, I have confidence in God that he is bigger 
than this giant. Fear is a symptom of a deeper cause, and we need to dig down deep to get to the root of the matter. And there's three causes, three deep down reasons that fear is present in our lives. First of all, fear comes from conditioning. Some people are raised in an environment of fear and worry. They're born into a family of worriers. Mom may have been the grand champion of worry. Or grandma. Or dad. Or grandpa. Somebody in our family may have been a worrier. And if we are raised in a family like this, working fear never diminishes. And our entire lives are built on shaky ground. Second, fear comes from our concealing. Anytime we hide something, fear is allowed to flourish. Here's the pattern. We make a mistake. We sin. But we don't confess our sin. Mostly because we feel embarrassed, embarrassed or we feel ashamed. And we don't want to be thought about as anything less than perfect. This concealing will eventually drive us crazy. Mistakes and imperfections are never meant to be bottled up in silence. Instead, we need to shed those feelings of impending doom and leave them at the foot of the cross. Third, Fear comes from our controlling. Some people want to control everything. And the outcome of circumstances, the outcome of conversations, the outcome of other people's lives, and soon they recognize that much of life really can't be controlled, particularly how other people act. And so fear and stress and worry and anxiety are born. Do you know controlling people? They try to run not only their lives, but the lives of everyone around them. And as a controller, you really go crazy. Because you fear the things that you can't control. What if something doesn't turn out the way you want it to? What if somebody messes up the big plan that you've been working on? What if somebody doesn't cooperate with all the outcomes that you want? Ask yourself this. What in your life have you ever controlled? Here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't need to put up with this giant of fear. Because when we go beneath the surface to discover the root of all the fears that we have, the good place to start is with Christ. By the power of God, we look at the root and we bring it to Jesus. And we allow scriptures to flow into it and over it and through it. And we immerse ourselves in the goodness and greatness of God and let Jesus shine on that root. Now, having said all this, there's some fear that is good fear. Fear of God. You heard that expression? The fear of God? That refers to a fear that 
implies respect. The fear of the Lord is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't mean being afraid of God. No. We know that God is our Father. We know that God loves us and always forgives us. And so the fear of God is a merging of awe and respect and adoration and honor and worship and confidence and thankfulness and love. And yes, sometimes even actual fear. But the scripture is full of how fearing God is a positive and not a negative. For example, in the book of Genesis, Joseph wins his brother's trust when he declares that he is a God-fearing man. Moses was saved because his mother and the midwives feared God and did not allow him to be killed, but instead put him in the basket. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And Paul says we are to work towards complete holiness because we fear God. And these fears are not scared fears. They are awe-inspiring fears. Fearing God is good. Because it saves us from caving in to our own sinful nature. And that's why hearing that somebody is God-fearing actually makes us want to trust that person even more. If they fear God, they are more likely to keep their word and to treat others with kindness. In fact, Romans chapter 3 is a classic chapter on sin. It says that our chief sin is that we do not have fear of God at all. Fear and perfect love working together. The ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ. Because he warned us at every turn to fear God and not fear people. And he confirmed that with everything in his life and in his death. He spoke lovingly and frankly to all. And he dismissed mixed words when people needed to fear their sin and repent. But he also demonstrated his love beyond all human understanding when he lived out his words. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. With a love like that, what is left but to fear God? So what kind of fear do you have? You have the giant fear, what I'm going to call the negative fear. That's the kind of fear that paralyzes and separates a person from God. And that giant of fear must fall. But if you have the fear that is the fear of God, a fear that is all in respect. A fear that brings you closer to God through Jesus Christ. Well, that's the kind of fear we all need to build upon. Because that's the fear that makes us stronger. Because we know we have Jesus on our side. Let us pray.
God of peace, your way is not like the way of the world. Do not let fear control us, but let us stand strong in your loving kindness. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 550. Please stand if you are able, and we will receive our Harvest of Hope offering during this hymn.